<laughs> What's happening, weirdos? If, uh, if I sound a little weird, it's because I'm recording this in a uh, strange hotel in New York City that I just checked into. It has a strange smell and a weird carpet and a weird... It's just weird. I don't have to tell you everything. There's chandeliers that look like candelabras and they're like kind of comically low to the ground. Not like nice chandeliers, just like this is, this is what fit here. Deliers. This is what it fit here, Deliers. Anyway, if you're listening to this the, the day it came out, it is the day after my uh, book is, is out. I know you've heard me talking about this a lot. Obviously, it means a lot to me. Um, I've been getting some feedback already from some people who got early copies, um, friends mostly, and they like it, and my parents liked it. That's, that's weird. There's some stuff in there. You'll see that you wouldn't think your parents... Anyway... I don't want to spoil it for you. But I would love you to check it out. It's called Comedy Sex God. And if you order it now, you'll get it now. No more waiting. It's just a book you can buy and read, which is a thrill for me and hopefully fun for you. Uh, And this is James Corden, which was also a thrill for me and was also fun for me. Um, So let's get to it, as I always say, but never do, as quickly as possible. There There is a lot of mirrors to, like, kind of like fashionably dirty mirrors. Um, I'm in New York because I'm going to be at the William Vale uh, on the 15th, which is tonight, if you're listening to this. It's Wednesday night. Uh, I'll be at the William Vale, Brooklyn, and doing a book show. Go to wordbookstores.com for tickets. There's going to be a very special guest there. Um, and then May 18th, I'm going to go be in Boston. I'm going to take the train into Boston. Uh, we sold out the first show, but there's going to be an early show added. There is an early show added. Hope you can make it. WBUR.org slash events for that show on May 18th. Then May 23rd, I'll be back in L.A. doing a live Largo show with my good friend Rob Bell, also talking about the uh, book, but also having some laughs. That'll basically be a live podcast. I have to assume whatever we record we'll, we'll share as a live podcast because I always love talking with Rob. And then similarly, June 3rd, I'm going to be uh, talking with Colin Hay, the incredible musician, storyteller, just all-around incredible artist. Colin Hay is going to be doing a live music and conversation. You made it weird with me, June 3rd. Both of those last shows are at Largo. Go to Largo-LA.com for tickets. That's May 23rd and June 3rd. Um, That's it. I do want to give a shout to the Pete's Picks. People, uh, you know, love show and love to the show. Um, I, you know, it's one way to show your support. And as you know, I don't do normal ads. And these aren't just random products. These are products that I use and, and travel with. I had a crazy um, headache the other day. And I took some Charlotte's Web hemp oil. And that is what I really use it for. Whenever I'm feeling stressed or feeling stress in my body, whether it be in my muscles or in my head or in my eyes, or if I'm feeling anxious or just feeling wound up, or just a little too uptight. Charlotte's Web hemp oil has been a secret weapon for me. I call it my plant ally. I call it my happy juice. It is a wonderful tool uh, for for people out there. It's legal in all 50 states. It's made from hemp, but they use science to remove the THC. They leave the body and brain beneficial CBD. It's grown in Denver. It's made for human consumption. It's made by an incredible, reputable, ethical company called the Stanley Brothers who did this podcast. I like the original formula, mint chocolate. Tastes like a thin mint. Makes you feel better than a thin mint, especially when you're off sugar. 
uh, Everyday, uh, they used to be called Everyday Plus. There's also e Extra Strength, which is wonderful. And they have balms and other products on there that are wonderful for topical use, feel great on the skin, that have hemp right in there. Um, like I always say, it doesn't get you stoned, it just has a very happy, healthy, glow-giving quality. So go to cwhemp.com slash weird, and this is a new promo code. It's Keep It Crispy 19. Capital K, capital I, capital C, 19. Keep It Crispy 19. I don't know if it's case sensitive, but that's what I got. Also, Kachava, speaking of traveling, very hard to eat healthy when I'm on the road. Very hard to eat healthy when you have a young baby at home. And I'm always, I love to, but I'm always feeding Lee. And I got to make myself lunch or breakfast or sometimes dinner. Val and I had cachava for dinner the other night because we were like, oh, shit, we got to get something in us. Didn't want it to be too heavy. Want to feel full. Want to feel good. Want to feel a nutrition overload. As I always say, I would wager that if you drink a cachava, you're drinking more nutrients in one shake than most people get in a month. And it's 100% plant-based. It's got omega-3s. Everybody knows you got to get those, but they're from plants, from chia and flax seeds. It's got eight superfruits. It's got 17 greens and veggies. It's gluten-free. It's soy-free. It's free of artificial sweeteners and preservatives. It's got adaptogens. It's got 24 grams of plant-based protein and nine grams of plant-based fiber. But here's the best part. Actually tastes delicious. There are a lot of protein shakes, superfood shakes out there. This one has all the goods and it actually tastes great because it's got coconut milk in it, powdered coconut milk, and uh, coconut uh, nectar, which is a low glycemic index sweetener. Throw some strawberries in there. Throw some almond milk in there. Uh, feel amazing. Get it, get it. It's like a meal and a pill. Great way for me to eat on the road. So Kachava is still one of my big go-tos. 20% off, K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash weird and you get 20% off your order. Get into it. Show your support of the podcast. Hope to see you at a live show. We're doing some live podcasts, and hope uh, you can read Comedy Sex God if you're nasty. And in the meantime, um, enjoy James Corden. Wow. I can't believe he did it. We had so much fun. I wish Val was here. This is a depressing get into it. No, it's not depressing. I'm always home. We're all just floating in space. Get into it. Oh, sorry. One, one last thing. I, I know it doesn't sound great in here, but I'm recording this the morning we're releasing because I forgot to say that the book is out and as a uh, special promotion and also just a special, um, I don't know, thing, uh, we are going to be releasing a sample audio chapter from Comedy Sex God. So right now, here is the chapter in the book called Yes, Thank You. Uh, I recorded it a while ago. It's from the book that's available now. I hope you enjoy it. Katie, let's play that chapter. Get into it. And then James Corden. Then, you know, get into both of those things. Yes, thank you. I've always hated museums. The worst part is, when you hate museums, you have to pretend you love museums because you don't want to look stupid or unsophisticated for hating museums. So for decades, whenever someone asked me if I wanted to go to the museum, I would have to pretend to be all excited, when in fact, I only cared that people thought I was the kind of guy who goes to museums. If I ever did go, I would forget to take off the little circle admission pin for weeks, so people would notice it conspicuously still clasped to my book bag, so I could be like, oh this? I was at the museum. And I got it. 
Whatever it is you're supposed to get, I got it. I was quiet. I sketched. I got to know myself. But that's not what I was doing at the museum. I wasn't looking at a painting to appreciate it. I was staring at it, trying to figure out how long was appropriate to look at it, so when I walked away, the other people in the room weren't like, well, that guy didn't get it at all. So I would look at it and make my museum face, which is a face that suggests I'm deeply analyzing color choices and brush strokes. But really, in my head, I'd just be singing, Honey Nut Cheerios! Have them for breakfast or lunch, you decide! And that's not even a real jingle. I didn't care about the art, and I certainly wasn't feeling anything. I was just completing a mental checklist, searching from room to room looking for the name brands. You know, the good ones. The Picassos and the Monets. The ones people would ask me if I'd seen. I'd find them, a crowd of people already circled around gazing, and a wave of relief would hit me. Now I've been to the museum. I've seen what I'm supposed to see. Now I can go, right after I buy magnetic representations of these paintings to prove I wasted my day here. Ramdas taught me that the thing that was keeping me from enjoying museums was the same thing that was keeping me from living in the moment and feeling divine connection. It was all in my head. Instead of enjoying a piece of art for what it meant to me or for what it made me feel, I was wasting my time wondering what it was supposed to mean, careful not to waste too much time looking at it for fear that a better, more famous, more meaningful painting was waiting for me in the next room. Whatever it was I thought I was looking for, it was always somewhere else. Hiding, elusive, somewhere around the next bend. It was never simply here, and neither was I. In India, Ramdas had learned a method around such endless mind robbery. Maharaji would repeat the Hindu name of God, Ram, out loud, over and over, most of the day. The other yogis and sadhus had mantras that they too would keep on a loop in their heads at all times. Turns out, repeating a mantra like this is one of the methods for quieting the mind to allow oneself to be fully immersed in the here and now. I had heard of meditation, but I thought it was just something rich and leisured showbiz jerks did twice a day for 20 minutes with their legs crossed and their eyes closed. I knew this because I was one of them. Lululemon pants, spa music Pandora. But I had never heard of meditation as being something that you did while you were stuck in traffic or delayed on an airport runway or in the shower or even behind a conversation with another person. As a Christian, I knew Paul had said to pray without ceasing, but I had never thought of taking that quite so literally. My whole life, talking to God was prayer, and prayer was asking for things. Guidance, or money, or a new nickname to replace Biter Shaft. But repeating a mantra was different. It wasn't about getting something, it was about losing something. Namely, the never-ending stream of unsolicited horseshit our brains pump out effortlessly every second of every single fucking day. I'm hungry. I want noodles. I like noodles. Noodles have gluten. What is gluten? I should call my mom. I don't really want to call my mom. Why does my eye hurt? Noodles. In India, Ramdas heard the holy men compare the human brain to a drunken monkey. Just a topsy-turvy, screaming monkey, drunk on banana schnapps, endlessly, thoughtlessly thinking thoughtless thoughts and chasing its own tail. And what do you do with a drunken monkey? You give it something to do. Like a kid screaming in the back seat of your minivan, waking meditation is the iPad strapped to the back of your headrest, quieting them down with headphones and a Netflix account so you, the driver, can breathe for a change 
and notice the sky, crack the window, and taste some fresh air. Anyone who's closed their eyes and tried to will themselves into not thinking knows how impossible it is. Look, I'm not thinking, you think. The only method for getting out of your own way, then, is to give your brain a task, something monotonous and hypnotic, so you can sneak past your mind like around a napping security guard. This was one of the ways we can be the here and be here now, now. Rum, 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 rum. When I was a Christian, we spent so much energy proving that what we believed was true by the Western model of reason. Even though our story was written by a people not the least bit interested in a journalistic approach to the story of Jesus, we tried and tried to find evidence that we had the truth and we could show you exhibits A through Z to prove it. Head stuff. But now I was learning that communing with the mystery was heart stuff, not head stuff. Proving historical accuracy was beside the point. This was about you transforming here and now, and your desire for certainty? It was in the way. This is why certain religious traditions repeat mantras or chant a name of God over and over and over. In Eat, Pray, Love, Elizabeth Gilbert compares this activity to giving your brain a mundane task, like moving buttons from one pile to another so you can shut it up for once. Suddenly, the Catholic practice of repeating prayers made so much more sense to me. I used to think Catholics prayed over and over as a punishment for shoplifting or going to second base, or that they prayed the same prayer more than once to make sure God would hear them. But now I understood it differently. You prayed the same prayer over and over not so God would hear you, but so you would hear God. As someone whose mind is plagued by endlessly looping pop songs, radio jingles, and the Chili's Baby Back Rib song, the idea of giving my mind a Rubik's Cube to settle it down so I could sneak around it and experience some peace made a lot of sense. Ramdas said that the mind is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. In church, we had a different word for it. We called it the devil. The devil, red and goateed, you're picturing him correctly, was a liar and a thief. But now that rascally demon was starting to feel like another metaphor. It was my thoughts that were robbing me of the richness of now, lying to me, telling me I was inadequate or stupid or that everyone must be thinking about me, when we all know in reality they're just stuck in their own heads just like the rest of us. The problem with the intellect, Ramdas said, is that it doesn't allow you to escape from dualism. That is, it always thinks about something. So it takes an object. So as long as you identify with your thinking mind, you are always one thought away from where the action is. You're always thinking about it, or looking at it. You're always one thought away from life. I realized that for me, God itself had become another thought that my brain could think about, which always kept it at arm's distance. But getting to Detroit, or the Kingdom of Heaven, or Nirvana, was about resting in consciousness without an object. Just pure, unencumbered awareness. I had prayed to think about God and to think about my problems with Him listening in, like a divine NSA, which meant that prayer was just my way of inviting God to listen to the stream of endless thinking I was doing nonstop anyway. Dear Jesus meant, start listening, God. Amen meant, okay, go back to whatever you were doing, over and out. My capacity to connect was limited by how well I could think about connection. It was the same way I used to go to museums to think about art. Ramdas showed me the trap. The mind thinks about things, so of course it wants to confine and reduce both art and God into objects so it can think about them. 
But going beyond the mind, it turns out that's how to appreciate both a Pollock and the divine, or a dance, a play, sex, or Miles Davis. So I gave Mantra a try. Valerie and I had been living together for a year by then, and had recently discovered a beautiful botanical garden near our home. I wasn't yet comfortable looping Sanskrit in my mind. It was still too woo-woo for me. So I decided to go with her, determined to not think about the plants, flowers, and trees, but to simply look at them and think, if anything, yes, thank you. This was my first attempt at looking without thinking. I can't tell you what a shortcut to the transcendent this was for me. Trying to hold deep thoughts in my mind had always been so exhausting. Look at that flower. Wow. We live in a world with flow. Ah, fuck it. My mind gets tired so easily, but shutting it off and limiting my choices to just, yes, thank you, helped me see from my heart, not my head. I was shocked at how easy it was. It was as natural and repetitive as breathing. There were other people at the gardens that day who seemed to be tuned into this secret, but most of the people I saw were going around like I always had, observing nature like scientists conducting a study. The garden was something to collect, or analyze, or capture. I've seen this kind of tree before. I'll file that under seen it. This kind I haven't. I'll file that under new. This is bigger than, or smaller than, something I've seen before. This is better than, or worse than, something else I've seen before. Sitting on a bench next to a yellow rose bush, I heard a woman say to her husband, They have this kind in Brentwood. Like the roses were only there to trigger a memory of other roses you had seen before. From this place, it seemed absurd to take a picture of a flower to look at later. Click. Got it. Like hunters shooting film instead of bullets. Ramdas would say, Don't just collect the experience. Look at it now. Don't half look at it now and half look at it on Facebook later. Completely surrender to the experience now. You don't need to remember the names of flowers. There is no test. When we look without thinking, we have a shot to get floored. When mystics teach looking at the world through your heart, I think this is what they mean. Looking at a flower and evaluating it, dissecting it in the laboratory in your brain, is reducing it to yet another thing we do to pass the time. When you can look without thinking, that is, meditating on the flower, staring at it and past it at the same time, shutting off your mind as if you're entering a trance, having thoughts, saying hello to them, and letting them pass until you're left with stillness, then you can merge with the flower. You can watch it sway in the breeze, waving to you, dancing for you, feeling its stem tingle up your spine. That can't be photographed. That can't be compared or contrasted or filed away neatly in your mind. Don't review the flower. Don't think of how to explain it to someone else. It's not a new series on Hulu. It took me over three decades to realize you're not supposed to think about paintings, flowers, or God. You're supposed to merge with them. With yes, thank you, I saw the potential to get more out of one flower than an entire botanical garden. It's about a feeling, not a fact. Don't consume the flower. Be consumed. Making fun of the fact that they play Colbert on the TVs, whether anyone turned it on or off. And then your show airs. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah, of course you do. The, um, Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, just in the 
on the CBS. The CBS in like in CCTV. CBS. Not CCTV. What so do I like, mean? But every like the CBS in New York, the CBS in Radford. It's happening. I don't know. It's just <laughs> always there. Very fun. Yeah. Very fun. Creepy logo, CBS. This is Very not me trying logo. to drug no, you right. into the muck. No, no, you're completely right. I don't There's like no when... denying. There's no denying it. If you, if you know, it's like it looks like a logo. Oddly, I think the logo looks like <laughs> a logo on a CBS show about spies. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes, the, the Illuminati sort of, or not the Illuminati, but a spy, like a secret organization looking at in you. in a TV show. Yeah, 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 fake one. Yeah. Sometimes I quite like looking at things and going, that looks like a fake thing in a... I am so with you, and that is... A, I, th- I don't know if it's just people who work in TV that do that, but I definitely do that with Val. Do you I'm remember like, that Bradley that Cooper fake. film, Chef? James? When you brought up this subject, my comedian brain went, I know what he's talking about, but I can't think of, a, of an example. Well, no. I could relax because you have the perfect one. The, the Bradley the Cooper. Yes. The Bradley Cooper show yes. looks like a poster in a film. Fake movie. Where someone's playing a yes. chef. Yes. Yeah, it really does. Perfect. Yeah, it really does. Perfect. Yeah. I uh, sometimes in the movie Funny People they have Adam Sandler's fake movies. Yes, yes, and they all look like real things. It's all yeah, just like, do. yeah, you could do that. Yeah, absolutely. And all the things that are parodies that, that we made in the '90s about like the future, we're living in that world. Absolutely, everything that we're doing. I know. Sometimes you have to promote that. Again, I'm not here to drug you, drag your show <laughs> like you into the mug. Like talk shit about the silly things, you, guess, but you do have to sometimes promote silly things. I imagine. Well, there's the, yeah. I mean, what could you you know? It's, it's showbiz. It's that's it. We're Indeed, silly. We're beans. in it. We're in – I said that last night after the show, actually. I was walking back. <laughs> we were walking back up this, like, concourse, which you've walked down, you know, many yeah, times. And you yeah. come back up the thing with Rob, and I said, you know, this is, like, show 612 or something now. And I said, this is it, Rob. We're in it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we're in show business. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just your big slice no, of show business. No, I didn't mean it. I meant it ironically. Like, yeah. it couldn't have felt less glamorous at that moment. But of course, to it be walking back after life, it's just like this is like. But well, once the glitz goes off, that's when you kind of see it for what it is. It's still wonderful, but you're course. like, you had no idea. Like, I had no. I just recorded my audiobook, and I was like, mm. you, I had no idea people recording their audiobooks are exhausted. They're oh, in a yeah. little room reading all day. I For just was like, this days. Was days and days. Days and days. So that was another crack in the facade of show business. Not in a bad way. I like being on the inside. How did you find recording your audiobook? Because I wrote a book. Uh, when did I write a book? It was in 2000 and I want to say 11. 2000, yeah, Not too 2011. Long, yeah. About a decade ago. And I did it. And I hope this won't shock you. I did it very much in return for money. And <laughs> I... <laughs> and I, I sort of... You were in it for the cash. I had no... Well, I was like... What the fuck am I writing a book about my life for? I'm I'm 37. This is stupid. This is a stupid thing to do. In 2011, you were younger than 30. I was younger than 30. Yeah, you were 30. What was I, 31, 32? Yeah, Yeah. I was like, this is a stupid thing to do. (laughs) Nobody could care about this. I don't care. And I, yeah. and then when I had to record the audiobook, it really compounded the misery of the entire thing for me. Because now you had to read it. 
Well, also, I had to read it going, this isn't good enough. This is, this is, this is a, this is a bad, this, I've really, I have really elaborated this story. I <laughs> like love like, you know. it. Yeah. Well, that was one of my questions. There was a story of you uh, being in a play. Yes. And then backstage, you would talk to the playwright. I have his name written down, but I don't want to look down. His mm. name is Bennett. Alan Bennett. Alan yes. Bennett. Yeah. And the story goes, you tell me, that you would tell him stories. You'd spin tales. This is a little bit of the James Corden origin story that I thought was interesting. Yeah. So you're young and hungry and going for it. Yeah. So you had that energy. Energy. There's the playwright. This is something. It reminds me of me. Go talk to him. Well, make no, him laugh. It wasn't really that. What it was. So the play was called The History Boys, and mm. it started at the National Theatre in 2004. And I'd I'd worked a bit. I'd done like a couple of TV shows and a, a couple of films, things, but I'd never done a play before. And the play that to this day, that experience of doing that play is probably the most fulfilling and rewarding thing i've done in a sense of personal growth yeah and as a career experience it it was was challenging no it was just the whole thing was incredible i you know i made my best friends on that play i spoke to my friend andy who was in that play this morning on my drive-in like i'm dominic cooper who was in that play we ended up living together and he introduced me to, to my wife. wife. Yes. And the play was, um, and I can say this because I, I was like a, a, a very small part of it. It was a, an astonishing like piece of theatre. Like, we realised it at the time and I realised it even more now. that like, and We didn't know if it was any good or not. And it opened and was just like this, a monster of a hit. We did it for... We were supposed to do it for six months at the National Theatre. We did it for a year at the National Theatre, then shot a movie of the play, then went to, and then had a break of about three months, then went to Hong Kong, New Zealand, Australia, and finished on Broadway, and it won like six Tonys that year. And that wasn't a nightmare? When I hear that, I'm like, that's a lot of No, because it was, (laughs) oh, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it was just amazing. You weren't small like the the king or queen of england in hamilton small no no well the, it, well the no, part. I, I would say less impactful than that part but we we were on stage <laughs> That's a, a lot. small part we were on stage a lot and the play is about eight boys being prepped and groomed to get into oxford or cambridge university and uh it was just incredible and and sort of that story it wasn't like a it wasn't a sort of premeditated thing of like oh there's the playwright i should go and talk to him because alan bennett is quite possibly Britain's greatest living playwrights. I think his mm. his work is uh, astonishing, and he would just be in rehearsals every day, and it was just a joy to be there with him and Nicholas Heitner. and And because I my character in the in the play was this character called Tim, who was kind of the class clown. I don't know if you find this, but I find when I'm doing something like that, that in some way actors almost subconsciously take on a bit of their character into oh well this is the role i play in this group of course you know the mask you're wearing and you start acting yeah. mischievous yeah. so i would just start sort of telling stories and doing these things and and alan you'd be a ham sandwich and yeah just messing around yeah. really just being the kind of joker i guess you want and, to stay in that energy yeah and, yeah and alan bennett just said to me one day in the canteen at the, the national theater he just said you know you should 
you should write some of this stuff down. And 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 I was like, how do you mean? He's like, look, the, the, you know, you, it's it's funny, and if you if you can make people laugh here at the National in a rehearsal room, then you can probably do it kind of anywhere. And you should you should really just write some of it down. And and a, a few other people had said that. Oh, you should what you try and write stories? something. Do you remember the one that wowed him? And you don't no, have to tell. No, not really, it, but... not really. They were just it was just sort of stories about things or. Taking you were just something, on. You just yeah, felt like you know, in yourself, yeah, yeah. and uh, and then I was shooting a TV show at that time um, while the play was on because the plays at the National run in rep with it with a different show, so sometimes you'd have a week off while another play would go into that. And that's theater. when you do your TV show, and I was shooting this TV You're show, like Michael J. Fox. <laughs> do you remember he was and... doing TV while he was shooting Back to the Future? Oh no, I do. He was not doing know that. days, nights. Oh, he this was is less like, glamorous than that. Well, this is. <laughs> Your version of it, <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's not bad. And and myself and my my one of my my best friends, an actress called Ruth Jones. I started telling her about a story that I'd been to a wedding in Wales, and we we started writing, and we wrote a pilot for a TV show called Gavin and Stacey, and that that sort of was the mm-hmm. thing that kind of changed my. And we wrote that throughout the entire time of performing the History Boys, and then. So you were writing that while you were doing... We wrote episode six while we were in New York, and it was quite strange writing a show about a group of... Oh, I think you, we've of... talked about that before. Yeah, the, the, that you were writing something while you were doing the show. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and, then it, and then that show came out, and to, to everybody's surprise, mostly ours, it sort of became this kind of really big show in Britain. Yeah. And that was the thing that probably changed my life, I think. Wow. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk. Here's what I'm. We only have an hour, and oh, I'm most have excited. As long as you want, it James. Worry about all this. James, it's all and nonsense. James, go on. <laughs> Don't tell me you have as long as you want. We'll sure. go all day. Come on. But uh, what I'm saying is, I'm most excited then to bond. I think you and I are similar in that we were both young soft boys mm. that were. It was itchy for us to put on a show. Let me tell you the things that we have in common, and then I'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. One, we were both uh, overweight kids. Yep. Can, can we say fat kids? Whichever one you want. I like heavy. I've started using heavy. I've started using heavy as a as a nicer term. I have. It's like but uh, heavy relative to what? Other kids. <laughs> the average children. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? I always say I was the fattest kid in my junior high, which made me the fat kid. Mm. Like by today's standard, I don't think – I'm not making fun. I'm mm. just saying by today's standard, I was fine. But back in the 80s, 90s, you're the fattest, you're the fat kid. Look at his soft hands and he's clammy and like awkward and I have yeah, moles yeah. on my face and all these things. So anyway, we have that in common. Yeah, uh, We both got our start sort of getting laughs in church. Mm-hmm. I also want to put this to you if you have any experience with street performers because any time there was a group and they were like, let's have this kid i would oh, go for it oh my god i bet you're that oh kind yeah, of, yeah yeah so talk yeah. about that and then the third thing is um my first play it was eighth grade uh-huh. i was the baker in into the woods into the woods oh, we only that. did the first act so as, it ends as, as is the way with school plays <laughs> which i think is good i think it's a good it's a real cliffhanger though do i ever well it's happily ever after isn't it everything's great everything's done it's all great i think That's... at the well you would know better than me but i thought at the end of the fir- uh, first act of into the woods it was just like what's gonna happen Oh, well, I always thought at the end of the woods and they all lived happily ever after. Like the prince, Cinderella gets married to the prince and it's like, ta-da! 
and then very and then that's when it all just goes to shit. Yeah, I think. Okay, you. I think. I'm, I'm going to defer to you on yeah. that one. So talk about being the the, the heavy kid. Uh, maybe the bulliedness. This isn't a sad podcast, no. but I, I, I want to talk as two soft boys. Well, I don't think I because well, I think a lot about school and I, and I don't know, I don't know that I was ever bullied for my size because I think I made a, a, a very conscious or subconscious choice where I was like. Which I actually get embarrassed about now because I think it's still I think it's something that I still do now and I think it's something I should possibly stop doing I think which is going uh, I've made a choice at school which was like I will make fun of me first yeah and that will disarm you this is an episode like, of Punky Brewster that made you know, me cry when I was a kid you know <laughs> I, like I will <laughs> I, I get it whatever you I will make myself a yeah. bigger target and that will uh disarm you i was talking to my son just the other night about a kid at school he said they they've been playing um what i call football and you call you call soccer and they and them um, my son's team won in like the last minute it's just a, just a kick around in recess you know yeah and a his friend kick his friend went up and said uh, put his hand out and said good game and max went to shake his hand and he pushed him over oh and, uh, and Max was talking to me, and he said it really upset me because he's my. And I said, and I just said to Max, "You know what you got to do next time that happens, just laugh as loud as you can." Oh boy! I said, "When you're on the floor, just crack up laughing, and then and then and then go to, shout to one of your teammates. Oh my goodness, look how angry he is! He just pushed me over because we won a game." Isn't that hilarious? Oh, and like, wow. and I said, that's how you sort of disarm a, a bully. If you retreat and go, oh god, that really you you kind of give them the power. That's Whereas if you take the power back by going, you think you can make fun of me? I'll make fun of me first. Like I'll be a bigger right. thing, a bigger voice. It's like I was like, don't push him back. Don't ever do anything. Just, just sort of the best. You know, the best way I sort of found to to confront things like that was just to. Just to go, like, I can remember what, to kind of almost just go, are you okay? <laughs> like, I That's remember. That's how we deal with hecklers. Someone yeah. heckles, you go, are you all right? Are you all right? <laughs> are you okay? What ha- Honestly, if I go, what happened today? They'll tell you. It was something. Yeah. Well, or I, that month. I remember being sat in a, in assembly where we'd all sit on the floor and, you know, our principal would be talking and, and uh, this message got passed down. We said, uh, Tell Corden that uh, Andrew, what was it? I'm going to change his name. Just so, okay. That Andrew Bree, what I've done there is combined two bullies. Uh, he said, he said, tell Corden, Andrew Bree is going to kick his head in. And this came down about ten people. Tell Corden, Andrew Bree is going to kick his head in. Tell Corden, Andrew Bree is going to kick his head in. And it got to me, and I just looked and he was like staring at me with like a real bully's face and i just went ask him why <laughs> and it came back down the line ask him why ask him why ask him why and he went and then he came back i don't know, <laughs> I don't know. and then i looked down the aisle and i just went i just went what are you, are you saying you're gonna keep my head in and he just went no 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 it's fine. <laughs> 
And that was like, and that was how I sort of dealt with being bigger at school was just to sort of go, I almost, I'll wear my weight like armor. Right, right. And I will, I will, I will refuse to let you pick on me for this. I will make it seem like this is bulletproof, but that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Right. And, you know, it hurt me then. And oddly, it kind of hurts me more now, I find. Little James. You know, I find like... That you carry in your heart, I mean. Yeah, like (laughs) it it hurts me more now. Like any any sort of... Because people are so angry at the moment. Like, you know, I I find it harder in a way than I did when I was at school. When I was at school, I felt like I was bulletproof. And I feel like that. I feel like it's... I find it harder to deal with you mean people teasing you now or what happened to you as a kid no like any any criticism or things i get now i find harder to deal with oh interesting because i'm not face to face with someone in a playground right you're in this faceless world of the internet right so you can't and if you do reply to someone why yeah all you're doing is almost giving them more power right whereas in a in a in a playground in a schoolyard you can go what are you talking about right are you all right? This is a silly, this is a waste of our time. Right. Like, I think, I think people getting annoyed, people getting angry about a television show or a film that they don't like <laughs> is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It is. And take them to the internet. But that's what I mean. Have it you ever this... gotten this one? I, I, I joined Twitter to tell James <laughs> Corden. Like, I've gotten that. I, I joined Twitter to tell I Pete Holmes that he's the worst actor I've ever seen. And you're like, I, well, that, that was a real tweet. And I, and, but why do we read it? There's a real thing. Have you, I, I'm going to – it's called Teflon Velcro. Right. Teflon is positive. I say mm-hmm. James Corden is transcendent. Mm. Here, I'll give you a real compliment. Your joy. You find it. You find a way to share something very personal and real about you on TV, and I know how hard that is. Every time I do your show, you're there, you're present, and you're having fun, and that's fucking difficult, and that's real talent. Thanks. If I say that, great, okay? It's not going to last. No, it just slips away. Of course. <laughs> of course. Of that's course. Teflon. Oh, you'll carry with you all the ba- – like there's c- science to this. If yeah, I say sure. you're shit and look at your, your oh. wee hands or whatever, you have great size hands. I'm just saying <laughs> somebody, somebody says, look at his wee hands. <laughs> That's Velcro. Oh, you'll hold on to that. So the science is you need to not meditate, but you need to hold on to a positive comment, like uh, contemplate it mm. for 15 seconds for it to stick. Oh, really? So if somebody says something nice, I, I don't really do this, but I mean to make it stick as much as a negative. But I see I joined Twitter to tell Pete Holmes he's the worst actor ever. It's in there. And it's, I just see these tiny little people, like blow darts, yeah. like tiny. They're not killing me. But no. They're these little burrs yeah. sticking into me. And they add up and you rub them off like cactus pokes at the end of the day. But then part of me says, uh, there is a, a, a small part of me says, maybe without that, what, what is the thing that drives you on to keep going? Right. It's like So a, maybe, yeah. maybe somehow, somewhere you sort of need that stuff. But why do you so, look? That's the thing. Well, do you I, like the, I the downer. Look. Do we like the downer? But when do we look is a better question. I've I've almost <laughs> uh, genuinely almost entirely stopped. Yeah, looking at, at kind of anything. I would say that's probably now. an indication of inner health and and your your life is. Yeah, going okay. I just because I realised maybe about a year ago that like the the tiniest thing or comment could really just 
spin my day off. Yeah. yeah. And I would look, and I would find myself going, I'm not being, I'm not being like a particularly present dad or husband or like thinking about co-worker because I'm thinking Iowa about City. someone yes. who if I who, who may be a racist yeah. in which case I don't want you to like me Dude, and, and you know what if you could see what he was doing when he course. did it you would see what a fart it was of course you know what I mean well anytime you have anytime <laughs> he was you just do, farting I don't know if you find anytime you do go what was that about they go Oh yeah, man, I didn't yeah. mean to. Oh, listen, yeah. ignore yeah, me. I love you. Ignore me. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. You know. So right. That's and and but I. These, it's 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 like a microcosm of our thoughts. The, the tweet only has the power that you give it. Of if course, if you believe it, now it's powerful. Which is kind of what yeah. I'm saying about bullying in a playground. I know. That's if why you I think, refuse yes. to give them the power. Yeah, they will turn their attentions elsewhere. That's right, and they'll just start. It's not, it's not paying looking out. Looking for other people, they're like, "Oh, I'm not getting what I want from this." Right, Max isn't scared of me. Yeah, he so went, I'm, you're, you're mad at a that's game. That's hilarious. <laughs> you're mad at a game, guys. Yeah. did you see what happened? He pushed me pushed because me. of a good old fashioned kick around. You wouldn't believe what happened. Yes. He came up, yeah. and pushed me over. I mean, right. I could face. not stop laughing Look at about his angry it. Little and then you go, oh, that yes. didn't, you know. I so that's, that was my sort of yeah. experience at school with being um, sort of, you know, big or heavy. But mm. the the tweets, right? Uh, one of the things, so I did a, a talk show, a lot of my uh, Nick Bernstein. Yes. The wonderful oh, Nick. Isn't love, he the best? He's a, just the nicest. Just the sweetest. The nicest man. Yes. And, and some of the writing staff, Nate Fernal. Yeah. Who I'm going to forget Again, these are all just wonderful. Gems. People. Yeah. Yeah. I... Conan told me uh, something I've said to every late night host I've interviewed about, but I want to hear what you think about it in relation to the tweets too. Mm. Part of your job, this is something Nikki would say, is to be in a good mood. I would be like, I'm going to, I'm not going to go to this meeting. And it'd always be like, it's fine. (laughs) Your job is to be in a good mood because you have to go out and you need to be able to find it. So if there's a tweet that says, look at his wee hands. Yeah, that might make your show not as good, and that's fucked up. That's kind of a lot of people. What do you think about that? Well, I think I yes, and I could think it's completely. I, I can think that's completely uh, true and 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 right because it's it's sort of it, it's a strange job in a way that like half of the job is um, time and people management and almost thinking ahead. Yeah. So so like when we stop doing this, everything we'll do for the next two hours will be stuff two weeks, three weeks, maybe even three months from now wow. that we're working on. Wow. And then around about midday, 12, 31 o'clock, it will only become about today. And then some days your sort of feet don't really touch the ground and other days, you know, maybe you've got a tape bit and it's, and it's all right. So from that point on, really, I, I just sort of try and only think about the show we're doing today. Right, right. But then I, I guess where it's slightly... I don't know if it's different. I, I, I guess I, maybe I f- feel different. Is is I don't really ever feel like I'm a talk show host. I don't. I just don't feel like that's what I what do, you feel do like? on our show. I just think it's all a performance. I like think a it's acting a, gig, kind of yeah. like I'm like I'm going to play the role. Yeah, of a talk of show. 
me, and I'm gonna, and this is the strand of me that I've decided will host this show. I understand. But it's not really you. Like, I, it's not. It's just like, well, that's who I'm going to be for this hour. You're and- not that delighted to see Reggie. I'm not. I'm not teasing, right? You're leaning into the part of you of that's enthusiastic. You're into all of it. Oh my god! I yeah. can't believe you're here. This is terrific. Like, yeah, because, right. Right. Because it's you know that it's a is that's what it is, and that's what the show and and kind of when we started it was like what are we going to do how does our show find a place in this overcrowded place of too many shows talking about the same thing and we were like well we will be let's try and be a slice of irreverence and fun and just a, a tiny little glimpse of joy before people fall asleep at night or more likely whilst they fall asleep at night. <laughs> um, and then and then we hope that people will share it the next day on the internet. You know, right. that, that was that was how we sort of think of the show really. But it's an acting gig. Kind of. It's yeah. you know, it's it, not, listen, it's it's a it's 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 you it's Do you know the Houdini quote? No. A Houdini is an actor playing a magician. Right. Or I'm sorry, did I say that right? A magician is an actor playing, playing a magician. Houdini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He I think like, that's yeah. David Blaine does not always feel mysterious. No. And Eminem doesn't always feel cool or hard. You know, That's I, it. I know yeah. you know this. It's all... It's, it's all, show business. It's that. We're back in it. <laughs> and we're back in it. And we're back in the business yeah. of show. And I, I think that's it. Yeah. But you like it and you, you, you're you okay with it. Oh, you yeah. Know what I mean? it's, a, it's a joy. I love it. And it yeah. is a very nice thing to, to kind of, um, you know, sort of stand behind the curtain and take a couple of deep breaths and go, right, okay. Let's 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 do it, and, it, yeah. and it, it's a it's a it's a glorious way to spend a, a, a little chunk of one's life. Well, you know? correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the nice things about it is life sort of flows through you. You don't have to like go out and look for it. Here's Michelle Obama. She came to you, James. <laughs> well, we went to her. We okay. went to Washington. Okay, <laughs> that's that's a little bit different. Yeah. But, but here's Will Smith. Sure. Here, the, the light, and here's an audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it came to you. Yeah. And and here's great friends and people coming on the show sometimes and mm-hmm. and pop stars and whatever it might be. So you get to kind of be still and and let things flow through you. Does it feel like that? Which is fantastic. And yeah. then there can be other days where and i only really find this with like friends of mine who are actors where you know i would know them from like auditioning back in london or maybe we used to go like me and eddie redmayne used to go to the same after school drama club oh wow so like (laughs) and eddie will come in and we'll do a sketch or something and it's so lovely to see him and it's wonderful and then uh and then I'll go, well, and what are you doing now? And he'll go, well, I've got to go to, go to Japan for the premiere of the movie. And then I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to spend like three months in uh, Vancouver because I'm shooting this new Aaron Sorkin right. movie. Right. And, and you, you go, realize what a homebody you And you, you go, <laughs> well, I'll still be here when that comes out. <laughs> you know? Oh, you mean it the opposite? You mean almost... Are are you envying the fact that he's you're like, tra- oh, going you're around? You're going to go and do something new. I see. Sometimes, yeah. And then other times, I go. You're a statue. And the, yes, yes, yes. And then other times, I go like, "There's a really good bit on the the Seinfeld comedians in Cars where he's talking to Jimmy Fallon, and I think Jerry Seinfeld sums it up in the best way where he says, uh, he says uh, the the 
job of a late night host is a cruel experiment. And he says, we're going to take a creative, joyful, yeah. exuberant person and we're going to lock them in a room. <laughs> and he goes, for 30 years, <laughs> I wonder what will make them snap. <laughs> you know wow. and it's a really funny well even letterman the, the, i think and david letterman said has said and done some unbelievably funny things in his life and when but when he announced that he was stepping down he said i think perhaps the most honest thing he'd ever said where he said he, he said that he was gonna step down from the, the late show and he said i told myself that when i get bored of this job a decade later i'll retire <laughs> Wow. Which is an amazing... Isn't it the mix of the privilege that you get to do it weighing against maybe exhaustion? I I have to assume you're not exhausted yet, but I have to imagine Letterman's like, look, I got in the room. I felt that way with crashing. Like, we're not coming back. But when it's an enormous undertaking, but you're like, boy, I hope I get to do it again. Yeah. It's 14-hour days in Mm -hmm. every scene I'm in, and I'm writing everything, and you edit it. It's a year-round job. It's crazy. You Mm -hmm. kind of get... It's like... Uh, Conan says um, it's like putting your bone marrow in a wood chipper. That's what he says, like doing like yeah, that. Yeah. You feel like sometimes. I knew that. And then you'd go, but it's fucking crazy that I got invited to the party. Exactly. I'm going to go eat some more cake before they kick me out and realize they never should have had me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is a that is a continual <laughs> feeling that I've had my entire career, really. Right. That, that someone's going to go, ah, oh, we made a mistake here. Yes! I'm so sorry. You... You James should, Gordon you should be playing a yes. sort of bubbly judge in a TV <laughs> drama um or you know running bubbly a running judge. a newsstand yes you should be running a newsstand handing a newspaper to Sandra Bullock in a film that, yes. that is who you are yes. you know but um yeah I, I like I, I, but I I really enjoy the creativity of the the job and like you say like the 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 best thing about about having a show like this is is the then the notion that you can have an idea and and do it put it on tv then the next day or the I, next week and and then sometimes millions of people will see that and share it and yeah and other times you know fifty thousand people see it but like someone comes up and goes oh that was it i really enjoyed that thing and you right. go oh man we just sort of did that as a silly joke it's right. lovely and you are i i have to think as we're talking about this it must be part of your strategy. Don't let me tell you what your strategy is, but your wellness strategy to focus, like we all have to, on these good things. You could be going, oh, Christ, what a slog. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. You might say uh, to your you- wife, like, it's a night. Am I in a nightmare or a dream? But if we go, look, every night, there's, you talked about the negativity. It's a little, it's an hour of, hey, yeah. fucking, what are you getting so mad about a kick around for? And more than that, <laughs> more than that, like, the uh, it, the thing that is really not lost on me ever, not a single day is ever lost on me, is like the privilege to, A, just have a job. Yeah. And B, uh, to, like, I took my son to school this morning. I took my, went back and had breakfast with my daughter. You hit, you hit the I'll bully be, with your car on the way yeah. out. <laughs> and then I'll be, uh, <laughs> and then I'll be back tonight to read them a story a better and that yeah. that's the thing that i cling on to i'm like what other well where i'd be going ah the tax breaks yeah. in atlanta vancouver wherever it is and 
I'll be gone for three months. And right. right. You'll it's all be here when I get back. to shoot a movie in New Zealand. So yeah, we're going to make gonna be New Zealand there, look like L.A. But you've got schools, so, you know, and that, that There's actually is... going to be an actor that looks like you, Max. Mm. And I'll read him a story. <laughs> yeah. And he'll call you and tell you how That's well, the thing. Yeah, and and that's, the, that's, the, that's the greatest privilege that I think that, like, while they're young, to just be around is... is I, I, I never for Funny. one second take that for granted. It's the best part of my day. I, I, I'm new at it. I'm yeah. a six-month-old baby. Yeah. Uh, Val is is monitor sleeping, so she's mm-hmm. sort of half sleeping. Yeah, yeah, she has yeah. the monitor going, yeah. and then so she'll f- sometimes get up in the middle of the night. Baby's pretty good, but I get up at six, and it's me with the baby from six to maybe nine, mm-hmm. maybe ten sometimes. Yeah. And Val's catching up on sure. like uninterrupted sleep. Of course, fucking, I'm a morning person, which is weird that I'm a comedian, and I fucking love hanging out with my baby. It's it's just the greatest thing in the world. You feel like it's like a bank robbery. Before anyone else is awake, I've already gotten everything that I need. It's amazing. It's got everything you need. And also, what you realize is they don't care. They don't care. Like when I was, I didn't realize that we didn't have any money. Yeah, that's right. Until this baby doesn't. Until I like went to Matthew Dewhurst's house. Yeah. Which was amazing. Yeah, that's a real person. The Jewhurst I Manor? went to Matthew Jewhurst's house yeah. and came back to our house and was like, oh, I didn't realize that everyone didn't live in a house like this. Because right. the majority of my friends at school kind of lived on the same estate that we did, you know? Right. And, uh, and, my, you know, but my kids, that, they don't care. They don't care. Like, they just want you around. They just want you to the be there. Thing, though. Just want you to be there. It goes back to the to Twitter and the way that the brain works. The brain gets, it's, it's Buddha. It, we suffer because we think, we tell a story. So you see Matthew Dewhurst's house. And then if we're unfortunate, if we have a brain like this or if we succumb to it, it tells the story we should live in a uh, house like that. Mm. And then you suffer. Because you don't. Mm. But it, just like a tweet, it only has the power you give it. Exactly. And kids don't typically no. naturally go, we should have that house. They go, dad's here. You smell well, your present. dad. But also they're present yes. in this moment. And that's actually that's actually all anything's about is to just be, to try and be the very best version of yourself all right. the time. Right now. So like right now, all I'm thinking about is, oh. I'm doing this with Pete. I'm so happy that you're here and we're having a lovely time. And I'm I'm not thinking about the show. I'm not thinking about anything else. And then tonight when I get home, I should try and be a completely present dad. And and I'm saying this, I get this wrong 50 times a day. But if you're trying to, I think you're pretty much halfway there. Back in A. It's funny. Here's a silly example of that because that is a big part of my life too is just – how you do, this is what Richard Rohr says. He's a Franciscan friar who I love. He goes, how you do anything is how you do everything, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm here and I'm thinking about what I have to do after, the, first of all, it's going to suck. Mm. It's also how I do everything. I'm always going to be distracted. I'm always going to be elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And there's, here's the stupid example. Val and I will be watching some show. And then she thinks of something and I pause it. And I'm really into the show. And I pause it and she's telling me a story. Now, typically, the suffering would come from I want to watch the show, right? Then this only – it doesn't happen often. But like let's say we were re- at a really good moment. She's like, oh, I just remembered it and I paused it and I'm talking to her. This sounds kind of like a typical like, and my wife wants to talk about – it's not that. Mm. I'm just saying it's a moment where I go, pause the show, look at Val, and I'll feel this lying voice that goes, the show, the yeah, show yeah, though, yeah, yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah. That's that, important. That voice can say – 
ice cream, ice cream, or mm. we should be asleep, or we should be whatever it, we should be, we should be, whatever you're looking for is elsewhere. And in that moment, you go, fuck it. Be 100% with Val. Yeah. And guess what? You love it. That's you it. enjoy the story. I got the chills. Because it's the secret of life that nobody's fucking talking about. Yeah. Just do what you're doing when you're doing it. Well, when I was at school, <laughs> when I was at school and the Oasis album Be Here Now came out, yeah. I remember thinking that's a terrible title for an album. Hilarious. Now, I actually think it's quite possibly the best title of an yeah. album of all time. Yeah. To just be here now. Yeah. Like, I was like, that's it. Yeah. Where are you? Well, be there. Yeah, be yeah, Be in yeah. it there and don't worry about anything else because we're promised nothing this might be the last thing either of us ever do. Fucking so try and make it as here, good as it can James. be. You know, this has been a big thing we've, I've been saying on the podcast lately, and I do it. You're in the shower, go. This might be my last shower. Mm. Not dark, not sad. No. I might explode. So or let's might, make it a great one. Make it a great and jerk, jerk it. <laughs> <laughs> you might die. Just blow it, blow it, blow it all. But feel the water, smell like you will. It'll snap you into the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure it will. Ryan Holiday gave will. me this little token that says, um, "Memento mori." Remember that you die. I, and you could look at that as dark, but sometimes it falls out of my you pocket. Leave life right now, and you remember. Shit, my heart could stop just as suddenly as that coin fell out of my pocket. It happened this morning, and boom! Guess what? When I'm brushing my teeth, I'm uh. not going. Oh, this fucking... I just want to be in bed. I'm feeling the bristles on my teeth. I'm tasting the delicious toms of Maine. Yeah, well, yeah. I, and right? I, I, I completely... I think it's... Because uh, some people, like you say, would think that that's quite a dark thing to think. I actually right. think it's quite an enlightened thing to think, which yeah. is to say, I'm like... Nothing's you're not promised. promised any of this. You're not promised. So I, sometimes I, I will... Because uh, I, I sort of try to keep busy and, and sometimes we'll... It may seem from the outside take on too many things. Like you know, right now we're doing this this show. I'm writing a, a, a show for something that we might make for the BBC at home. Um, I host another show in Britain, and then I'm going to host the Tonys, and then I'm going to we're going to a primetime special, which we're, we're trying to shoot other stuff for, and um, working on something that we might shoot over Christmas. Mm. And um, sound, and, and lots of people go. People go, oh, what are you doing? It's crazy. And I go, what are you talking about? I, we're all going to die. Yeah. And we don't know when that is. And I, it's incredibly arrogant, I think, to go, well, I will kick this down the road because they'll still want me to do this in a decade's time. Yeah. A, that anyone would want you to, and B, that you'll even be here. You know? Yeah, that's very interesting. Are you able to – this sounds like a leading question. I don't mean it judgmentally. Are you able to not do anything? Well, Craig Ferguson, who you took over for, yes, he is also uh, – you and I both like to do a lot of things. And then he said he had a friend tell him, don't just do something, sit there. And so in the later years of his life, he's, he's trying to find the, the be here now of, of yes. nothing. Well, I, Are you able to do that? I hope – yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I can, I can do – Fuck all! Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, I'm, to, I'm talking no about. You know, people think doing nothing is like I don't know, watching a TV show or having a bath. I'm talking about I could lose a day staring at the corner of a rug, like easy, 
Easy, for sure. Are you in your head? Are you thinking a strategy? Or are you just no, enjoying? I can. Good like, for you. I can sleep in a wheelbarrow. I can <laughs> just... I can... Like, I promise you, I got here just now, and I said... Uh, I said to Sarah, who works here, where are we, we going to do it? She said, well, we're going to do it in one of the dressing rooms. I said, is Pete here? They said, he's in a little traffic. Lay down, shut my eyes. Glorious. I had like nine minutes of just an incredibly warm eye mask. Eye mask. Eye mask on. A warm feeling of like, I can do nothing. But, what, but I really, re- the thing I really like is, and I think what I found is that, that doing other stuff makes this show easier for me i see because i always come back to this show and i go ah well this is what i know what i'm doing here right and so much of the other stuff i'm scratching my head going i don't know if this is any good oh interesting and i'll get here and i go well i know what this is all of the this you know sort of nine unbelievable writers and segment producers and people and i come in like what are we going to do oh this is fantastic and i had an idea this is great whereas if i only do this my worry is that i would get bored i see val has a similar theory about our marriage actually is Mm. that i get enough drama from my life almost like a firefighter or something. yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do respect firefighting is much harder than what i do i'm just saying yeah, yeah. i have a lot of ups and downs sure. and ins and outs mm. and wins and loses in my life so my relationship is very stable mm. it's very n- normal so you get your whoring out with your side projects mm-hmm. and then you come back here and you can enjoy this for what it is and what yeah, it should yeah. be yeah which is a, a stable well also fun place yeah and and and, and a place where you go oh well, we are, we already built this yeah. That was four years ago. This was a well, that's what kind of hive of stress, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's so funny. The early years, it takes a while. You know, Conan, when he gave me my show, he was like, I just want TBS to guarantee to keep you on for uh, five years or something. They didn't do it. We yes. only did 80 episodes. But his hope, as it would be for you, if you had a protege, I assume, would be like the whole thing is to get to do it for a long time while you figure it out. Yeah. Camel did this. You did this. Conan definitely did that. Yeah. You need that time. Well, I sort of felt like we we were, very, we were quite fortunate in that we seemed to – I think it came from the, the notion that, that we – knew that we were starting at kind of zero like like i'm well aware that when it got announced that i was getting this job that that you probably even did this people well who the fuck is that yeah, like that yeah. was that was the thing that i'd sort of be and we were like and so we were coming in at such a sort of place of nowhere no saturday night live not written on anything not that like you know didn't have a visa had never been on a talk show. Had never been on a talk show when we got given this the moment show. Like this where I'm like, this should be a TV show because my face was Tony Robbins wide. <laughs> it was but yeah, never been on an American yes. chat show yes. and yet uh, go about to host one. And so we were like, myself and, and Ben, the exec, and Rob, our other exec, the three of us were like, we have got to come out of the blocks so fast. Mm. We've got to come out with such confidence that we, we that, that no one can go, no one can ignore it yeah. and go, it's terrible. And so like, you know, the first 
the first show we t- did this thing where we reenacted all of Tom Hanks's movies in yeah, seven minutes, yeah. which is still a thing we do now. Yeah. The third show we had already shot this carpool karaoke with Mariah Carey, and that's still a thing that we do now. Our sixth show, we went and did a show in somebody's house, yeah. completely unannounced. Like we were like, we are just going to run right. out of the block so fast, right that. That we'll, you know, we're, we're you just were the not kid trying. upstairs. The parents are having a cocktail party, and they said you can come down for five minutes and say oh, good night. Oh god! And you and came you down can... in your underoos, yeah. and ran around touching everything with your sticky hands, yeah. and screaming and tipping things over. And everyone in the room went, "Let's let's get that kid back down here." Well, that's yes. <laughs> and also, I'm going to turn this five minutes into twenty five minutes, and you won't even know. That's right, because you're going to like it. So you much. won't even know until you check the time that's right. and realize I should have been asleep at ten, and it's twenty to eleven. Yeah, like that's a hundred percent. Oh, that's so fun. How it was and I how it is. I wonder if someone was smart enough. The only way to create. I wonder if there's some genius. Maybe you can tell me, because I remember when you were announced. That was the only way to create an itch, like a PR itch. Not that that's our field. I'm just saying the fact that it wasn't Chevy Chase or Magic Johnson, it was like, what's that? Yeah. His credit is that he's British. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as we were concerned. Yeah. And then we were like, well, I got to check that out. I wonder if they were like, let's go, let's go lo-fi. Let's go minimal. I don't, yeah. I don't feel like it's, it's. Yeah. I think it just, it just came from like. Well, Les Moonves, who gave me the job, and Nina Tassler, who was the president at the time, had both seen me in this play called One Man, Two Governors that I did in New York. And, and I, I had no idea that at that point that they, they, that, that they had both sort of said, this is someone that we should, we should try and have on our network. And, and I didn't know that. But there and was nothing in know... that play that was chatty. It was all scripted. No, well, and... no, it wasn't all scripted, that oh. play. So I would have massive moments in that play. This isn't the History Boys play that we were talking about before. This is a play called One Man, Two Governors, where throughout the play, uh, I would continually break the fourth wall and talk to people in the audience. Fine. I would even bring people from the audience up on stage and do stuff with them Uh and you accidentally picked Les Moon- Moonvets. No, you know, <laughs> you know who I did bring up on stage once? Who? Donald Trump. Shut the fuck. On my life. No. I promise you. No. So, get in the yeah, car. True, true We're going to sing a song. Get so, in the car. <laughs> true story. So we're doing the show. This is we're on show like three hundred and ninety six by this point with that with you know eighty ninety to go. Yeah. And you could tell with that play in the first eight minutes whether this was going to be a show a good show or one of the best shows we've ever done you could tell by how they would respond yeah, sure. to two or three jokes i talked to colbert by the way yeah about this yeah it was actually off mic um and he was saying that he has something similar when he's warming up his show there's five or six jokes that he does that tells him how the show's going to do yeah I, I bet you have a same thing, thing. Yeah. and so I said to Ollie, brilliant actor called Oliver Chris, who was in the show, every, almost every night there would be somebody extraordinary in the audience. Like, you know, people that – like Gene Wilder. Wow. Came, uh, like, to a matinee. And, and, a matinee? Well, yeah. And we, like, you know, Gene Wilder would be in. Tom Hanks is in. Barbara Streisand's in. You know, every – all the time, every night there would be incredible people people in the audience they tell you before because you have to know. i always want to know yeah. yeah but we could but you could never bring those people up on stage it you also want to know because you don't want to bring them up yeah yeah hey mr hanks yeah shine. it would be disrespectful yeah. Yeah. somewhere yeah. yeah 
And, I was, and then we heard that Donald Trump was coming to see the show. And it was one of those days, a summer day in New York. Do you think his PR person was like, you need to look more human, go see a show? He's like, oh, I have no okay. idea. I don't know. I don't know how he came, but... <laughs> it, it's just weird to think that he was like, I'm in the mood for theater. For a play. <laughs> but it was one of those days where just suddenly at four o'clock, biblical rain in the summer. You know those raindrops in New York that are like kind of... Yes. Quarter the size of a quarter, and it's just yes. right, which always makes for a bad audience because yeah. people have got wet knees and yes. all that. So, and I said to they Ollie, get cold as they go. Yeah, you I said to Ollie, knees. you know, the only person we could ever bring up on stage is Donald Trump because half the audience don't like him anyway. So we either win with the entire audience, or you win with half the audience. Because you going to make fun of him, you mean? Well, you're just bringing him up. And Wait, like, what made you think he was the only one? I, I went to because he's dry because he has big rich guy umbrella. No, no, no. Because <laughs> because it is kind of this. Like, we, we would I would get them to move stuff around for me I on the stage, and like I'd be like, I couldn't lift this. Will you help me? Kind I of thing. See. And uh, so I said to Ollie, I said, if it's if 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 I feel like they're not there, the audience aren't going to bring him up. And he was sat like maybe two-thirds of the way back on the aisle. And uh, and I just got to that bit of the show, and I thought... Wait, so in the beginning, you were like, what was, was it? A show? A great show? Yeah, it was just show? a show. It was just a show. And I thought, fuck, I'm going to do it. And I walked up the aisle, and I grabbed his arm, and I said, you're coming with me. And I pulled him up on stage. And I got him, I was like, this is were something... Were there cheers? Yeah people, yeah, people were like, and I said, yeah, and I said, this, you're, you won't understand this. This is called manual labor. Oh, I was like, I was like, this five. is what you normally get other people to do. And I was kind of pushing him around a bit and like manhandling him <laughs> and stuff like that. And, and I would do this every night with two people from the, from the audience. And then they'd go into the wings and our stage manager, Michael, would, say, would often, they'd stand behind the door that I'd sort of push them out of. And he would always go, you did great. It was fantastic. Wait here. James is going to call you. I'll open the door, walk back across the stage into your seat. And he said, every day people would stand there kind of rabbit in the headlights. And I promise you, this is exactly what he said to me. So after the show, I said, what was he like in the wings? (laughs) And he went, oh my, and this is what Michael said verbatim. Oh, my God. It's like he thought he was the president of the United States. Shut everybody. He said he got into the wings and he shook every crew member's hand. Hey, don't try. But not shaking their hands in a genuine way. To me. Shaking their hands going, this is a big deal for you. This is a big deal for you to shake my hands. I know those shakes. And then he came back across the stage and, and went back to his seat. But oh, yeah. my God. Did yeah. he score? Did he get any laughs? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he did. Because, look, you can't, here's the thing you cannot deny about Donald Trump. Charismatic man. Yeah, no, I know. People Charismatic like man. Him. Charismatic man. And when he smiles, when he laughs, when he looks at the audience and rolls his eyes, it's really funny. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. not that funny if he is the president of the United <laughs> States. <laughs> <laughs> completely true yeah you gotta give it to a show we all love the apprentice <laughs> we I all know. love the apprentice it's what got us the here. apprentice was amazing <laughs> yes let's not start going it isn't amazing it's just not amazing if he's running if he's the president the free of the world States. that's right yeah. oh my god uh that is amazing i'm so happy you told that story and then somebody tweeted about the show look at those wee hands <laughs> <laughs> um because well two things one, what do you do when you don't feel it? Because if you're not feeling present, I'm just interested in gratitude seems to be a thing for you. Going over your gratitude, 
gets you into presence. Yeah. But you come in, and this mm. happens every late night. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've been the guest, not on your mm-hmm. show. I've been the guest, and I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, something sleep was wrong, food was wrong, argument well, with somebody was happening. I, yeah, I think. What do you I, do? Well, I think because of the sort of, for once of a better phrase, training I had of doing a I was going to play eight times a week. They must have seen that as well. Not eight just, times a week yeah, that you have nothing will come close to that. Like people, people all the time go, "Oh my god, you must be exhausted," and I'm like. This, it's different this is every day. Nothing. It's an hour. This is nothing compared yeah. to doing a play or a musical on over Broadway and over and over or in the West End four hundred ninety-five times. Because what people, a lot of people, don't know unless you've sort of done it is yes, yes, the world on the stage is the same. The thing that really started to get into my head when I was doing One Man Two Governors is everything off stage is the same. Mm. Like there would be a bit where I'd come off, I'd sit down, I'd have a drink, I'd sort of, I would, this bit where I'd roll around the stage on the floor and I'd be sweating and I'd wipe myself and then I'd have to walk under the stage because my next entrance was the other side and every day at the same time I would pass the same two people, Jenny, a costume lady who's carrying a washing basket with things in it, hey Jenny, and then the next word like would be the the prop guy who's moving like two roast turkeys from one side to the other and you pass them at the same time every day twice a day sometimes and by the end you're just not even really saying hi to each other you're just kind of doing one of those kind of (laughs) you know sort of eye roll type things and like so in that respect I feel like in the days when I am not feeling that, in the days where we've maybe had a bad day, the days where things haven't gone right, the day where we thought this, we had a thought we had a good idea, it's disappeared, whatever. I go, that's, it's irrelevant now. All that matters now is to absolutely, I think half of the battle is just to look like you want to be there. Mm. Just look like you want to be there. And I think that's the same for guests on a talk show as well. Like yeah. Tom Can Cruise, that's my Will experience. Smith. Yeah. Uh, biggest movie stars in the world reason is they turn up and they could be jet lagged in Germany just landed about to fly to Italy to answer all the same questions again they arrive going oh my god I can't believe I'm here yeah and everyone at home goes oh see they, right. they like it present people yeah. too yeah for They're sure deliberately present deliberately and present and we feel that and it's one of the most attractive things in the world without question Tommy C has Tommy C done this show he must have Tom I Chris. jumped out of a plane with Tom Cruise you jumped out of a we plane we did a parachute jump C. together I... and we did the the movie roll call thing and and then we did a really we did a funny thing in London where I had said to Tom Cruise that I'd started a new business and I think it's going to make us a lot of money it was a we got a whole boat uh, and called it Tom's Cruise oh my God. on the River Thames Cordon. Oh <laughs> my God. And we had things like the You Can't Handle the Truth booth, oh the my cocktail Jesus. bar, risky business, slide competition, like all these wow. things. Yeah. But he is unbelievably present. I have like, to think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of these guys that gets that what the human animal wants yeah. isn't a Donald Trump handshake in the back. I've heard from people that I know that met Tommy say, it's all about your name. It's all about eye contact. It's all about giving them some sort of – Oprah too. You hear these yeah. stories of people that go, give them something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give them a piece of yourself. Well, Tom Cruise, 
I, I'm in love with Tom Cruise. Like, I I'm just also think in love. he's incredible. When I did your show last, it was with one of the co-stars of Mission Impossible. That's right. Yeah. And we sat in the back mm. and we just talked about it. I was like, what does he eat? He's, I oh, just want to know. He's always being handed something. Every... <laughs> Every two hours, every two hours, what is he being? A handed? hand will come in and just give him a salad, some kind of shake <laughs> that looks very gloopy. And when we uh, and this came about when we jumped out of the plane together, yeah, I am. Um, well, here's a story I've never told anybody. <laughs> I Do love hear it. You're like this. Is I love it. Never told. So I got asked if I would. He was being honoured in Vegas. He was, Tom Cruise was being honoured in Vegas at this big cinema convention. And they asked if I would go and sort of host the thing as a surprise because, mm. you know, I really like him and, and, and I, f- I feel like he likes me. I think I don't know. And uh, it's hard to know because he seems that way with everybody. Is that yeah. what you think? Well, he's no, so no, it's not that. So anyway, I go and do the thing. And afterwards, he's just he's like, oh, man, how did you do this? And, well, we pre-taped a show yesterday. We did two shows yesterday. So I could be here. It's like, I can't believe it. And anyway, we're leaving and he and everyone's leaving. And he goes, uh, listen, you know, drop me a line. Send me a text. I go. I go, Tom, I would love to, but I don't have your phone number. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you do. I went, honestly, I don't. And it doesn't matter. I said, I know that you mean this, but don't worry. You're so I know fine. that. I said, don't worry. I, I know, know you mean this. It. I know you mean it, but don't it's not going it. to have. Don't worry. I get yes. it. It's fine. He goes, he goes, I'm going to get my number to you. And I went, it's okay. You don't have to. Sort don't of do like, this. I know that yeah. you mean it right now, but in yes. a half an hour, you'll have forgotten all about this. So. Ah, two days later gonna hand you a shake and you're not gonna care two days later yes. i'm in my office and uh sarah who, who works here says uh, uh will you come to the conference room i said sure i walked down the hall to the conference room which is a room i never go in <laughs> and there is a huge thing of balloons that spells out thank you and a box I open the box, and in the box is a cake, and the cake is in the shape of a telephone. Get out of here. And on the telephone are all these symbols. Then there's an envelope. I open the envelope, and it's got a a post-it note on it, and it says, press play. On this dictaphone that's in there. I need it. I press play, and it goes, your mission. Get the fuck out of here. Get in the mission. Get in the car. Your mission, should you choose to accept it is to uh, figure out the code on this telephone and call the number on your cell phone. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Then it went... So I sit there with a pad and he'd written on the piece of paper that said press here, like one clue. And I'm trying to figure out this code. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, I figure it, I, I, I figure it out. Was it easy or hard? It was hard. It was hard. I got it wrong twice. It just went to like a. You called Tom Hanks? No, it just said. (laughs) It just said this is uh, this number you've called is not recognized. You know, like that sort of thing. Anyway, I realized what I did. Get it right. Phone rings. He goes, "Hello." I went, "Hello." He went, "Is this James Corden?" I went, "Is this Tom Cruise?" And then he went, "And now you've got my number." (laughs) Oh. My God. I never told anybody that before because I sort of felt slightly I sort of felt slightly weird about it. But yeah. You felt the perfect person. Yeah. Yeah, so, I was watching Mission Impossible Fallout last night for oh, the fifth it's time. Amazing. So when I was watching so you know they did that that sky jump, the fall three, thing. Yeah, three two, three jumps. The huge jump. Yeah. I just sent him a text saying, When the film comes out, should we jump out of a plane together? 
And he went, yes, absolutely. And that's how it came about. And I swear to God, I'll never forget it as long as I lived and jumping out of an airplane at 15,000 feet with Tom Cruise. That's deathbed. Like, why the is, two of why us is looking old James Gordon smiling in the air and that. him sort of like banking in to grab my arm. And like, I just, I, I, I can't begin. I was just thinking, this is, this is absurd. If I could tell my 12 year old in fact i didn't think it at the time when we were driving back i thought if i could tell my 12 year old self that these were the memories that i'd be having yeah. that i'd be building yeah. i'd be building stuff these sorts of memories his head would explode yeah. it would explode yeah to be able to to have such a thing where this is just even something that i can say oh i once did that it's it's almost like life's a simulation this is when we tell you james <laughs> And all the walls go down, <laughs> just like Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, my God! <laughs> Simon Pegg comes Wolf in. Blitzer Wolf comes Blitzer comes in. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't be... How shocked would you be if somebody I'd be like, in? I knew it couldn't yeah. be true. I knew it! It has to the feel... Truman Show. Yes. Yeah. It, there have to be moments where you go like, am I writing this? That's what I'd like to hope, I'd say. Yeah. If all these walls come down and they go, this is all a simulation, I hope I would have the strength to say, I knew it. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Oh my God. Great ref. Great ref. <laughs> Great ref. Did you have, were you allowing big dreams like that when you were young? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I never sort of, it was just inconceivable to me that there was anything else that I was ever going to do other than perform in some capacity. See, that doesn't surprise me. Even if it's not metaphysical or the secret or something, it doesn't surprise me that you were like, that you had the box in your subconscious, mm. that would fit jumping out of a plane with Tom Cruise. Well, it's not that I have memories of that. I didn't have visions of that. Of no, any I of those. know, but I, mean, I just the, thought, you got a big box, I just want to perform. That's yeah. all. For me, like, the goal was just to be in a West End show. Yeah. Just be in a West End show. That's it. Being at, like, that would be it, to, to go in every day and be in a musical in the West End. Did you feel yourself when you upgraded that, when you turned the switch to go? Oh, I, well, my first job. you are this now. Well, my first job was a musical in the West End. <laughs> I was 17. It was a show called Martin Gare that was written by Bublé and Schomburg, who did Les Miserables and Miss Saigon. And this was their third show that was just destined to be an absolute triumph. It wow. was an unequivocal fucking disaster. <laughs> it was the worst thing anyone had called? ever... Martin Gare... Okay. And uh, I have notes. And it's, <laughs> on the title, everyone had notes. It's the same story. Do you remember that Jody, that uh, Richard Gere movie, Summersby? Mm -mm. It's that story. Very famous sort of French story. But my God, it was a piece of shit. And wow. And I was basically cast. I realised when I got there because I was seventeen, but I looked about fourteen. So I could do eight shows a week. Because normally if you have kids under 16, right. you've got to have alternate shows. So you've got to pay for two kids, not one. And I was just, uh, yeah, and, I, and I, I, I had one line. And when I say one line, it was three words on my own. My line was, uh, it, was it, it was like a big song and I had to run into this bit and I'd go, roast the meats. And that was it. Get out of it. Roast the meats. Get out of only the bit. And as soon as roast I, the meats. As, yeah, roast the meats. It's a question. Why? It was all they were planning a wedding, and I say roast the meats. And here's how depressing it was, uh, which I just thought happened to everybody, and realised quite soon into the show that they didn't. As soon as I'd done that, which was sort of in the middle of Act One, they'd just take my microphone off. <laughs> and go well, we need to give this to someone else now who's gonna and so, so like, you're not even like i'm not even like even oh, the just... imaginary potential of maybe yeah. so this very thing that was like that was the pinnacle very soon became 
oh, I can't get stuck doing this. Wow. I can't get stuck doing this. No way. You know? Yeah, I love it. Well, let on the chance that you are going to be swept away, Tom Cruise style, was it? were you scared or did you have the Tom Cruise magic of like, Tom won't let anything happen to me? Well, I'd done it before. I'd done oh, you skydive before. Were you wearing the masks? Forgive no, me for he that wore the mask. He I just have, I had goggles. He has a custom mask. So he it? looks incredible. I look like I'm sort of going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Well, you had like, to be like, I'm not going to die. Tom Cruise is here. Well, also, I sort of, I'm, the guy that I jumped with was a ex-paramilitary. Yeah, yeah, so I was pan- tandem and Tom was on his own. And it would ex- be weird if Tom was tandem. Yes. <laughs> Although that is what I wanted to happen. And Tom said, we can't do that uh, legally. Like, I'm not qualified to that extent that I could jump with you. No one would insure it. Oh, you know? he wanted to be your tandem. I, I wanted to be Tom. I, I said, can we jump together? And he said, we could never insure such a thing. Right. You have to be at such a level to be, you know. Who's and, higher than Tommy C? Well, this guy I jumped with is like an ex-paramilitary I who see. had done, I think, 15,000 jumps had even jumped into a war zone in the dead of night. Like, it was that sort of guy. So now you can take this chat show. (laughs) Yeah, and he said to me, he said to me, uh, I said to him, everything's cool, right? All all good. And he went, I've done 15,000 jumps. I've never had a single problem. And I've never jumped out out of a plane being filmed with Tom Cruise. So today is not the day I'm messing up. <laughs> and wow. I was like, I completely had absolute trust was in him. Was he shaving with a knife that moment? No, he was just, no, he was really, uh, yeah, he was a very, very lovely man. I love yeah. it. Well, this is in case you have to go. Okay. We always talk about the meaning of life, but mm. don't get overwhelmed. No, yeah. We're just chatting. Sure. Not on the spot. Mm. Uh, what do you make of this consciousness that you woke up into this? What is the story that you tell yourself? I know you were raised in the church. Yeah. But... You can talk about that, what you used to believe, and leading up to what you believe now. Yeah. No wrong answers, safe space. No. Well, my my dad, uh, although he's just sort of retiring. So my dad was originally a musician in the Royal Air Force. He uh, And then he was, up until very recently, kind of, I think he's not 100% stopped now. He's about to stop. He's a Christian book salesman. Like, he sells the Bible like Christian and, book distributors, yeah, 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 to wow. like shops and like, you know, the, and all the stuff, the fishes on the car, the, the wow. everything. The well, full, I know the shops, yeah, of course, I've you been do. to those the full, shops. The shine, Jesus, shine, you oh. know, <laughs> and now to let the weak say, I am strong, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> and, um, and my mum, you know, is Christian, he's we, in. Yeah, yeah, and we grew up in a Salvation Army family, and then, and your mom, I'm sorry, you were saying, yeah, my mum is a. She, is a Salvation Army has a very much a, a big a faith and belief. And my sister, too, is very religious. Uh, one of my sisters, in fact, both of them, but, but my younger sister, Ruth, particularly more sort of right on. And um, I always say to people when anyone asks me about it, I go, I go, they're Christians, but they're cool. I understand the need for that. Yeah. They're cool Christians. Right. Like my dad. Well, you say you're a Christian. People think you're probably and that you were that you sort of have hate gay people anti-gay and you're like no, you no, no, secretly no. think i'm uh, you're going to hell i yeah. like to say i'm christ leaning but yeah. then i have to go i don't think you're going to hell no i don't think that anything's wrong with being gay i'm not about winning and you're a loser no. and in and out well my and my dad my dad has wonderful i've seen him in conversations because 
people get really heated about it mm. about about whether someone else believes something which frankly is none of their business mm. but they do they get angry about it and I'm, my dad is kind of i've seen him just be brilliant in in situations where my dad will go you might be right you might be right mm. 100% mm. and and my dad will go the faith that i've chosen the god that i believe in the person that I believe in would never, ever, ever discriminate against anybody because of their sexuality. He would believe in forgiveness. He would believe in second chances and he would absolutely believe that uh, sin essentially is just missing the mark. You just messed up. Mm. And my dad was like, and I mess up 350 times a week. Mm. But my day is easier my life is easier if I believe in that. And that's really it. Mm. And so that's it. Dad just goes, I like, I remember He's opting my, out of the debate. In I remember my dad way. talking to someone where he said, he said to this, this guy who, 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 we, who we know, he said, you run, right? You do a lot of marathons. You do, I know you did the half marathon on Sunday. He goes, your life is easier if you go for a run every day. And he went, you know, totally it clears my mind. I have a good focus. And he went, I'm never, ever going to have a problem with you doing that <laughs> if it makes your day better. And my dad went, I am completely open to the notion that this is all bullshit. But what I do know is just makes my day easier. Mm. And that's it, you know. And so I have quite a, a strange relationship with, with uh, faith. I have, a, I have a, a, a tougher relationship with the church. Because I think, like, the church is where people got involved. Like, yeah, you know, the faith is like, you know, faith, Christianity, here's the thing, it's a religion, it's there. And then a church came in, and, and, and that's when people came in. And if, we've, if, if anything, if, if we know anything about people is, we they'll find up. a way to fuck stuff up, Yeah, you know? Well, I think God and the devil is a joker walking down the street and they see a, a piece of truth mm. on the ground and God picks it up. And the devil says, give it to me, I'll organize it, yeah, which yeah. I love. And then Bono says, uh, religion is the temple after Jesus leaves. Yes. And then the third thing he brought to mind was Rob Bell, my dear friend, said, and a lot of smart, mystic, Christian-leaning people say, Jesus would be appalled to know that there's a religion based on him. Yes. Because that was not what he was here to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, and, and so I'm, I get very conflicted because I... Like, I also have a deep respect for science. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that I really go, oh, come on. Really? You right. Know, all those things. But but those two things can be dance partners. For sure. Do you feel that way? I, yeah, I think so. But I do think there are moments in that dance <laughs> where they cancel each other out somehow. Where you go, well, you can't believe both of these. Right. You know? What comes to mind? I don't. I, oh, well, you don't, I don't just, need you. Just, just the movie the, chef with Bradley Cooper. The movie chef with Bradley Cooper. <laughs> but like my thing is, and I don't know whether it's just because I grew up in a in a sort of Christian leaning household that 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 I the thing I can't ever sort of shake is that 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 this is all for nothing. That we're just going to do this for nothing. Right. There has to be, and it exists for nothing. Yeah, there's there a line has in my to book be something about that else. where I'm just like, it just always felt 
wrong in my gut. Yeah. Sort of like what your dad is saying. Like, let's not debate it. I'm just yeah. saying there's something in me that resonates with yeah. those. And I, I talked about like uh, like a cosmic dryer just farting out dice uh-huh. until one day the math was right and DNA sure. was formed. I, I understand that, that, like your dad, that is one of the possibilities. For that sure. This is just one big wet mm-hmm. fart yeah. and whoops, this happened and then it'll go away yeah. and it'll be like nothing happened because mm. we just showed up in the cosmic timeline anyway, yeah. 14.5 billion years without us and we just showed up yeah. in the last minute of December 31st. Okay, I get it, but it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel no. right. In my base awareness. Well, and also, I we had a a, a friend of mine in uh, a friend of mine in in London who this was in about when was this like two thousand seven two thousand eight uh, suffered a, a like a monumental like cardiac arrest mm. heart attack like should have died mm. if it wasn't for the fact that his wife was like a skilled first aider probably would have died She's and a real in Tom a type. yeah and in an ambulance on the way to the hospital uh and this guy andy is i'm gonna say honestly the least spiritual person i've ever met in my life i mean uh. a man who's from manchester who will happily just call bullshit yeah. on anything bollocks no chat bullshit you know like season ticket holder season ticket holder to manchester city like once for nothing like just oh fuck off you're full of shit i'm not having it like the least spiritual man like if i started trying to talk to him about mindfulness he'd be like i'm going home this is what you know and anyway he's in an ambulance and he he died in this ambulance he died so he really had cardiac arrest he died for about, I want to say two minutes. It may have been a minute more, may have been a minute less. Right. But, and he says, he goes, mate, I saw it. I was in the fucking tunnel, man. And the lights are going out. Boom, boom. And he goes, I'm just floating down this tunnel. And a voice said, Andrew, it's up to you. You can come or you can go back. Yeah. And he said he was just sort of floating in this thing. And he says he doesn't remember ever saying anything, but like made a choice. And then he came back to life in mm-hmm. this room. And he said, for the, for, the, for the least spiritual man on earth, he said something so profound. I've never forgotten it. Where he said, I'm no longer scared of death. Because the greatest moment of my life was when I died. Wow. He said, the greatest time I've had, the greatest feeling I've ever had in my life was the moment when I died. Yeah. And he was like, he doesn't talk about religion, he doesn't talk about anything, but fuck he's like, off. fuck off, mate. Don't give me that absolute bullshit. That's how he, but uh, yeah, that. and, and, and like, there's stories like that. It's things like that that make me go, what is that then? Yeah, the mystery. What is that? What, what is, is yeah. that? That's God to me is a relationship with what is that? What is that? Well, what is that? What is the God that 99% of the known universe, not just our solar system, but everything is, is dark matter? Yeah. What is that? What is that? As Richard Rohr says, what kind of God is that? Well, yeah. What are you up to? Yeah. Fucking curious, isn't it? Yeah. But then I also, say, but then I also understand that I, you know, I have friends of mine who, who have been through terrible and horrific times who go, if God is real, he's either cruel or he's stupid. Hmm. 
And I don't want to believe in a God who is cruel. And I'm definitely not going to believe in something who is stupid. Right. Who would make such mistakes that it would cause me such pain. And so, like, I understand everybody's sort of point of, of view on it. Tosa, it's easy. It. I, I'm guilty of that on this podcast. I talk a lot from a very comfortable place about suffering being grace and how everything is sort of happening for reasons that are – we need to zoom out to a perspective. Let's do this. We were talking, Val and I were talking about the lawful unfolding of the universe, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning – and Buddhists are very good at this, going like things are the way that they are mm-hmm. and it will always be and always have been. Mm-hmm. And there's a lawfulness to that that is not really for us to understand. That includes horrible, horrible fucking tragedies, yeah. right? And our experience – one of the things we say on the show is every day for ants is 9-11. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. an ant. I'm not, I'm not putting down 9-11. I'm just no, saying no, no. Yeah, yeah. zoom in, zoom out, and then zoom out. Hurricane to us, horrible. How does the hurricane feel to the earth? You know what I mean? Is the, is the earth working something out? These are just thought experiments. Yeah. Your perspective, and this is when the Buddha woke up, he was seeing things from the ant perspective. He was seeing things from the perspective of the atmosphere. He was mm-hmm. seeing things from the uh, cosmic perspective. That is where I start to go like there's a chance that even the most fucked up crazy thing – we like to say everything happens for a reason because we go like, oh, uh, James was walking to work and he, and he broke his leg. But then the nurse was the love of his life. That's, the, that's everything happening for the reason of your story, yes. your ego's storyline. Yeah. Everything happening for a non-rational, non-pleasing to your ego, to your pride, to, your, to uh, how we like things to end in love and fun and, and a win. Yeah. Fuck that. There might be something – mysterious that isn't for us to understand absolutely that is lawful i'm not saying it's like great Mm. and i wouldn't tell anybody that's suffering that like oh you should buck up it's all it's all okay Mm. but sometimes in a quiet place i can go like maybe 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 this is the whole universe is universing and that includes things that are very very ugly to us yeah, but I think those those ugly times are coming for everybody. For all of us, it's just at different times. It's different on your timeline, that's you know. Right. And and that's why actually, uh, you you got to enjoy the days when it isn't that. That's right. You've got to savor the days. Like I'm, I'm, my wife and I say all the time. We we say because we're a long way from home, you know. We're we're as far away as you could get on one plane journey from where all of our family are. Mm. And I say to her, some days I go, look, every day that the phone doesn't ring at 4 p.m. and tell us something's happened at home right. is a great day because it will happen. It's going to like statistically, right. it will happen at some point that, the, that in, in, a, in an instant. That's right. We will feel a long, long way away. And in that instant, we will realize that what we may have been griping about was actually happiness after all, mm. you know, and like, like that's that's the the thing that I think, and you know, you can only really, I think, talk about this stuff when you're really at the end of the thing. Like, I'd like to make a pact with you that if we're both fortunate enough to live a long life, like, how old are you? I'm just going to be forty on Saturday. Yeah, so I'm forty. Like, if we are both lucky enough to live for 35 more years to meet up and do this podcast again. Cause I think it will be a very different thing. And yet I hope at it's core the same. 
Yeah, I hear you. Do you know what I mean? There'll be a lot more loss. There'll, There'll be, be a lot, lot more, more stuff. Right. There'll be a lot more shit. And I completely believe that, that, that one of us in that time might go, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason because why would that happen? Right. And, and that's it. You're just on a different timeline. And, I, I, you know, that's, that's why it comes back exactly to what we were talking about at the start, which is you have to savor all of it. Mm-hmm. Savor all of it because, like, the coin in your pocket – you just don't know. That's right. It's just I, I again. I don't think things happen for a reason in the in our in our perception. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Completely. I think it's something. It's a mystery. Yeah. It's something that's going on. And anybody that says like, I get why. No. I get why shit. your yeah. this person got sick. I no. get it. Relax. Yeah. But there's some piece that I found in going. There's a mystery going on. Yeah. There's a well, mystery. I had a car crash a few years ago. Mm. Um. Did Tom Cruise save you? He did not. Not serious, but could have been. Mm. Um, and I still am not, no bit of me is going, well, that car crash happened for a reason. Like yeah. It didn't for me. Maybe it did for the guy who picked up my car and took it. Maybe that guy picked up my car, took it to the scrapyard and found a billion dollars. I don't know, right. but I am still, I, I have no bit of He looked at your license plate. It reminded him of his mom. He, he went to see her. his mom. They go, Turns it, out she yeah. was about to slip down the stairs. That's it, right. Whatever it is. <laughs> but I am, I personally do not have the reason where I can go, well, and I was like, no, someone just drove a car into me. You didn't have, um, not to force it, but it sounds like you're the kind of person that would go any day that I'm not hit by a car is mm. now a good one. Because you've had a taste of that, yeah, all of those things. Like when it seems like you, were, but you were like, I was doing fine with that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You didn't need yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And I you go, oh, I'm so lucky. I'm so glad you're okay. Where they? Oh no, I'm completely drunk? fine. No, were no, 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 not at all. Not trying. Just, just someone just running a stop sign and just. Oh no, it was absolutely fine. But uh, yeah, my point is like, that's the thing where I can't. You know, two and a half years down the line, I go, oh, I see why that yeah. happened, and I don't know if that'll ever come. So it's it's a really hard thing to say to particularly to someone who's in a very sort of dark place to go, look, all these things happen for a reason. It's, it's really, really difficult. Yeah. That's why I like the global perspective of like a storm or something. Mm -hmm. If we were looking at the earth, Alan Watts talks about looking at the cosmos impartially because we don't have any narrative for it. Yeah. We don't go like, that's a good star. That's a bad star, that black hole, but to, the stars that are getting sucked into the black hole, that's a bad thing. But we yeah. look at it just going, look at the way the universe is. And yeah. there's a math to it. Mm-hmm. There's a language to it. And there's a lawfulness to yeah. it. And the fucking trick, and I'm not saying I'm there because honestly my heart hurts too much for people suffering. But there is a way to look at our own shit and go like, just as the ocean churns and spills and thrusts and kills and this and that – so too are the days of our lives. You know what I'm saying? You well, can you yeah. can go like we are also organic natural phenomena obeying a certain series of laws. And you just reference one of them that we only can expect to live to 80. That's just like a thing. And we go mm-hmm. like that's okay. Yeah. But if the lifespan was 3,000, 80 would now be a tragedy. Yeah. But that's just a belief that we For made sure. and, and a thought that we gave validity to. Mm-hmm. If we knew we only get one day, the tragedy would be people that died in the morning. Well, perspective is everything. That's, that's it. it. That's what I'm like, saying. I remember like there was a – I don't know if this happened in America, but there was a, a huge thing when I was at school that uh, cans of tuna – Cans of tuna fish, uh, it was a massive thing uh, that all of the companies that did canned tuna, started, they, they would have a sticker on the can that would say uh, dolphin-friendly tuna because dolphins were getting yes. caught in these nets. And it was huge. Miami And dolphins. I'll never forget Greg in our class just going, 
But what about the tuna? Yeah. Buddy. <laughs> like, what's his, Greg is brilliant. Like, we can't just go, ah, oh, the, the dolphins, dolphin-friendly tuna. We're like, no, it's not it was tuna, a tuna friendly. It was a tuna <laughs> massacre. Yeah. It was a it tuna was a massacre. massacre. And we were like, Dude. this is despicable that dolphins are getting caught in here, but we would love... I love a tuna salad. Every <laughs> that's so funny. Every movie ends with no animals were har- harmed in the making mm. of this production. I'm like, what about catering? Thousands <laughs> and yeah. thousands yeah, of yeah, animals yeah. were ground up into your lunch for sure. It's just it's just a lie. It's yeah. a perspective lie. Well, also and, the perspective where someone would go, oh, like someone would talk about another country and say, oh, they, you know, they eat dogs there. That's right. They eat dogs. It's disgraceful. Yeah. You're, you're saying this in a McDonald's. I know. Holding a cheeseburger. Also, we kill, we put down, I, I love dogs, obviously. I love cows, too. We put down thousands and thousands of dogs a day, and we don't eat them. That meat could be, but we don't. No. But they're still being killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dogs that are unclaimed, I know this is sad, unclaimed to the pound, are being put down. So, like, countries where they eat them, it's like, yeah, they've just stepped outside of this thing where you go, like, these animals are okay and these animals aren't. Yeah. Horses are not okay. Chicken's just, fine. It's just something you were told. Yeah, it's just something you were told and you believed it. And you got you, involved in it and went, oh, this is how it is. Yeah. And that, to me, is a small enlightenment when you just go, like, and, and can laugh. People use the word absurdity. I actually think it's freedom. They mm. go, like, that is absurd. And in that laugh, like your son getting pushed and laughing, yeah. you're looking at it and going, it's really freedom is absurd is recognizing absurdity and going that's absurd i kicked more balls into the goal yeah, yeah, yeah. at recess it's absurd that's absurd that's madness. you don't eat dogs you eat cats yeah. this, blah, this blah, is blah. absurd no animals were harmed it's absurd and that laugh that's a gift that's a free spacious laugh that you're trying to teach your son it's beautiful i completely agree fucking a let's get you out of here one last question hit me can you think of the hardest time you laughed in your life, or a hard laugh. It doesn't have to be the hardest. Oh, man. <laughs> I can. I can absolutely remember the most I've ever laughed in my life. Can and I this... say you look like a sketch of a man who's still in touch with the hardest time he's ever laughed? Well, like, I am. You and, have and that my, joy. My worry is you that, have this, that joy. this will not be a funny story. It's, it's not. I, I, Katie, don't I always the, say it doesn't have to be a good story? The, the hardest I've ever laughed was <laughs> me and the actor Dominic Cooper, who people would know from the show The Preacher mm-hmm. and uh, Mamma Mia and, and great things of that wonderful man. Great, brilliant actor, one of my dearest, dearest friends. We had both, um, over the course of that History Boys tour I was talking about, and, and a few months after both ended um, long-term relationships that, in truth, if we were honest with ourselves, probably should have ended four years earlier. But we were, but we were both ending like um, a seven- and eight-year relationship. Mm-hmm. And we were the epitome of lost souls Mm -hmm. we didn't know what we were doing what was going on and all this stuff i was shooting the gavin and stacy show he was going to do you know and we we were just in a we were out all the time all the time we were going out and we had decided well you're lost i'm lost we should move in together at this point (laughs) I had a flat and an apartment above a Chinese restaurant in Beaconsfield, which is about an hour outside of London. So I used to 
stay at friends' houses or stay at people's houses or stay at a hotel because I would drink a lot and just end up staying in London and to the point where the trunk of my car was full of clothes. <laughs> because I would just buy a new pair of pants and a t-shirt and just wear that all day. It was it was horrific. It was mm. like with nail and I with money, mm. right? Mm. And we decided and I get this call for we're looking for a flat and I get this call from Dominic saying I've seen the most amazing flat. It's in uh, it's in the city, on the <laughs> South Bank. Uh, we kind of looks at the city from the South Bank. We but, dude, there's like nine people interested in this flat. It's got the greatest view of London you've ever seen. It's got like TVs that come down under the kitchen, <laughs> and under the cabinets. It's unreal. But the real estate agent says we've got to move fast because like they'll give it to us, but. There's like, they're batting away offers. It's the greatest apartment in London. And I say on the phone, dude, if if you're that sure, I trust you, just do it. He goes, no, no, I think you should see it. Like, I don't feel comfortable putting down a deposit without, you know. So I go, great. I change my day around. I go, I'll come over. It's like a, a, I think it was a Saturday or Sunday morning. I drive over in the car full of clothes. (laughs) And I meet him outside. We go up to this apartment we walk in it is the worst apartment i've ever seen in my life like it had wicker furniture right like like garden furniture inside it was a furniture apartment yeah yeah, yeah. we needed needed one and i was like and i'm walking around Am I missing something here? And Dom's going, and he goes, look at this TV. And this TV that comes out from under the thing is the size of a cigarette box, the screen, and it clips down. You have to manually clunk it down. So it's like, it's like a screen you get in the back of a car seat, you know, in a, like a flash car. And the guy's going, yeah, listen, you know, we've got to move, big deposit, all this stuff. I go, okay, we'll talk about it and we'll call you back. We get into my car and I just went to Dominic. All I think all I said was, I was about to say, dude, what were you thinking? I just went, dude. And he went, I know. (laughs) I know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. He said, it's the worst flat I've ever seen. And because we were so heartbroken (laughs) lost technically homeless although rich enough to stay in a hotel we both at the absurdity of where we were in like we started crying with laughter in a way that i've like the best laugh when there was no sound yes it was silence in the car only dogs can hear it yes yes crying yes uh, at your situation, day, at your life, the whole thing, and this was just <laughs> the the it was like the epitome of where we were. Of this, I thought this was great, and yes. it's terrible. Oh. And he just went. The estate agent just he just bowled him over. The estate he's so susceptible. The estate agent told him these things, and yes. he just took it as yeah. truth. Yes, and the TV. That's, <laughs> that's the hardest I've ever laughed. I love that. What a place. What a time in your life. That's a great one. Brutal.
James, you have nine things to do now. You're you're free. You're so <laughs> you're so lovely. Would you say the catchphrase? We can yes. hug. Let's hug. We're gonna hug. On my and there it while is. we're hugging, would yes. you say keep it crispy? Keep it crispy. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank oh, that was real fun. What a lovely way to spend the day. So crispy. My jeans, nine hundred shoes, eight fifty. I'm so crispy. I'm so crispy. My ice cane make you haters wanna get.